A Greenville teacher was denied a promotion because she refused to place her kids in public school. Kelly Shackelford joins us to talk about her nine-year court battle. And the Hillary Clinton campaign is in damage control mode after the debate. Is she trying to straddle the issues? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Senator Clinton. Senator Clinton. Senator Clinton. Senator Clinton. Senator Clinton. Senator Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Senator 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 Clinton. Hillary. 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 Hillary Clinton. Hillary is the first lady, and now Senator Clinton. I seem to be the topic of great conversation and consternation, and that's for a reason. Well, there is a bit of a pile on on top of Hillary Clinton after her Tuesday night debate performance. Uh, ever since then, her campaign has been in a little bit of damage control, and we're going to talk about that later in the program. But first, uh, there's a court case that I actually covered with our friend Kelly Shackelford of Liberty Legal Institute when it first arose in 1998. Uh, and we're going to continue to talk about it because there's been uh, quite a development with this case. With me right now is Kelly Shackelford. He is chief counsel for Liberty Legal Institute. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Pinna. Kelly, I know uh, years ago we talked about this Karen Barrow case, and uh, Karen Barrow is a uh, Greenville school teacher. And I remember back then uh, she was denied a promotion. She was actually a very qualified teacher, going to be promoted to vice principal, but they said, oh, well, you can't be promoted because your kids are in private school, and she didn't want to move them. What's happened since? Oh boy, um, a lot. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, a lot. Um, <clears throat> the the story goes uh, that uh, this started, you know, nine years ago. Uh, you know, and even before that, she waited for nine years for one of these positions to open, and and she was, uh, you know, ordered really that uh, she had no future. Uh, those are the exact words given by the superintendent, as long as her kids are in the Christian school. And uh, so, you know, tried to work it out. They refused. Filed a lawsuit. After a number of years, we actually uh, had a pretty shocking decision from the district court, and that was that the authority of parents to control the upbringing and education of their children, the court really determined wasn't a fundamental right, and uh, therefore the government could override it if it had any rational reason in its own opinion for doing so. And it was a shocking opinion, um, and we began really praying for the Court of Appeals panel that we were going to get, and by the grace of God, uh, we got an appeal panel that, when we argued it, uh, came back three to zero, reversing that, um, and saying, "Look, these are 
these are very important rights, and you cannot uh, basically, you know, punish a teacher for raising their child uh, by putting them in Christian education. And uh, we thought maybe that would be it, uh, but no. So now, what year was that? Boy, not two thousand and three. Okay. And so we thought that it's over, right? And uh, no, uh, they continued to fight us, made us go to trial. We had a jury trial, and the jury came back and said this was a violation of the constitutional rights of Karen Barrow. Um, and they even issued punitive damages against the superintendent. Um, but yet again, they appealed again. So uh, we just finally got a, a, the Federal Court of Appeals opinion affirming uh, the decision and, uh, you know, again, nine years uh, mm-hmm. of litigation. But the importance is what we end up here at the end, which is a very strong statement of the law which says that, look, our children in this country are not children of the state. They're children of the parents, and every parent has a God-given right to control the education of their own child. And so that's a very important principle. And the other is really the message it sends to superintendents uh, this superintendent not only was hit for damages and punitive damages, but he is now responsible for over $650,000 in attorney's fees and costs for insisting upon fighting this case for nine years. And I, I think that's going to send a really strong message that this is not something you do to teachers uh, and, and get away with it, that there's a heavy price to pay. All right, Kelly, this has gone all the way up to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. This is the highest court below the Supreme Court. Now, they're not going to continue to appeal this to the Supreme Court, are they? Well, it wouldn't surprise me, uh, you know, again, using more uh, taxpayer dollars to fight the case that never should have been fought in the first place. I think their chance of the U.S. Supreme Court taking the case or, or you know, almost a non-existent. Um, I mean, this has been the law for 80-some-odd years in cases, uh, but they might. Uh, but the, the, the good news is that, you know, we've got the right decision here, and because one woman, uh, Karen Barrow in this case, was willing to stand up and to say, you know, this isn't right, uh, you now have a decision that, that protects literally millions and millions of teachers around the country who want to put their child child in a Christian uh, school or in private education, uh, that's a fundamental right that they have, and the government cannot blackmail them in their career because of their raising of their own children. Kelly, I think a lot of people are probably wondering if, in all these years, what has happened to Karen Barrow? Has she continued to remain a teacher? She, she has. In fact, uh, what immediately happened uh, after the old superintendent left uh, during the litigation is uh, she a new superintendent came, and they were looking for a new uh, a principal, and uh, she actually got the job because, again, she was one of the highest qualified people. Um, she did such a good job that that superintendent, in, within a year or two, promoted her, and she ended up being the, the principal of the only high school in the school district. Okay, so she's highly qualified. So what this really was, was you continued this case because you wanted to set a precedent that yes. uh, parents have these type of rights. And, you know, when you look at this, uh, Kelly, uh, teachers, we see statistics all the time about the number of public school teachers who put their kids in private school, so it's not like she was the only one in the country doing that. No, and she explained very clearly to the superintendent when it happened, she said, look, I can't give my children a biblical education in the school. That would actually be a violation if we had the kind of Christian-infused uh, instruction that I am giving them at this Christian school. 
So there's a reason <laughs> that yeah. I have my children in this other school. I, this is the education I feel is important for my children right now. And so, you know, it, was, it wasn't, I mean, a, a ruling like, like what the superintendent was uh, enacting would be, it's basically the same thing as banning Christian education uh, for, for their children. And you can't do that. Uh, and I think it's important, uh, you know, it's important not only for us as Christians, but it's, it's important across the country because one of the basic differences between other countries and this country is we really believe in the freedom and the authority, the God-given authority of parents, that that each of these families is their own little community that come up with their own ideas that produce these children that then bring these different and diverse ideas into the marketplace of ideas. And that's how that kind of capitalism of ideas is how we get the best thoughts, the best ingenuity, the best things. And, and that, that's really ultimately what's, what makes America great. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask Kelly Shackelford a question about this case or about parental rights in education or really anything you want to ask him about the issues that we discuss with him, all these religious freedom uh, cases that he prosecutes and does such a good job protecting our freedoms with Liberty Legal Institute, the number is 800-881-9270. Now, one other question I have, Kelly, is that you mentioned the superintendent was liable for these damages. Is this him personally, or was it the school district? He is personally liable uh, for the damages, yeah. And now, there's an insurance company that very well might most likely bail him out. Uh, but, you know, as far as the law is concerned, I mean, he is personally liable uh, for the damages as well as all of the cost and attorney's fees uh, that he caused really a, a, an innocent citizen uh, to be victimized by. Folks, uh, you've got to understand that these are precedent-setting uh, cases that Kelly Shackelford comes and talks to us about. Uh, this one, uh, just here in Greenville, not far away from where I'm sitting right now, the Greenville Independent School District, and there have been other cases that Kelly has worked on just from this area that end up setting precedent across the country for our religious freedoms. Uh, so I just want you to understand, really, the import of what we're talking about here. And Kelly, I also want to ask you about something that's coming up, because I know that Liberty Legal Institute, actually this is the Free Market Foundation, of which you are president, is putting on an event coming up because you deal with these legal issues and you also deal with the legislative issues and then now you're sort of dealing with the family uh, and the the importance of fatherhood. So tell us uh, what's coming up. Well, Free Market Foundation, which is the state group in Texas associated with Focus on the Family, um, as you say, one of the things, you know, Liberty Legal is our court efforts, but uh, Free Market does stuff in the legislature. And one of the things we realize quickly is, you know, probably the the issue that is at the core of of most of what we're trying to correct in the legislature and in our culture uh, goes back to families and in particular a lot of times to to dads and you know for instance if you were to look and you'd find that the the number one you know element that you'll see of somebody who's in prison will be you know the highest probability will be if, if you've got somebody who never had a dad in the home who never had a dad in their lives so one of the things we wanted to do is do some really good cultural projects, um, and and this one coming up is a great one. Uh, it's it's just a championship fathering seminar, hmm. um, and it's Roger Stallback is going to be there as well as Chad Hennings, and it, it the National Center for Fathering is teaming up with us on this, and I would just encourage people. It's something that moms and step families and all that can come to 
uh, on a Friday night, uh, November the 9th, from 7 to 9.30. And then the next day in the morning on Saturday from 8 to 12.30 is more just for the dads. Uh, but it's really powerful stuff, you know, and it, and it really gets across more powerfully than anything I've seen that dads aren't neutral, that, they, you know, they have a huge impact, either positive or negative. And uh, a lot of times as dads we think, well, if we're not doing anything at all, it's neutral. It's not. Uh, and it's never too late to reconnect and to have a positive impact. And there are lots of great just ideas, things that sometimes people don't think of that that they'll see through this on how to be even a greater dad than they already are. Okay. Uh, looks like I've got a phone number here. Tell me if this is right. 1-800-593-DADS, D-A-D-S. Yes. 1-800-593-DADS. Or they can even go on the Internet to www.fathers.com and then uh, forward slash seminar. Okay, www.fathers.com forward slash seminar or 1-800-593-DADS. Right. Kelly, uh, we've got Heather on the line from Waxahachie. Heather, thanks for calling. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Um, Yeah, I had a question about the um, teacher-principal discussion that you were having earlier. Um, I just wondered, I mean, from her viewpoint even as a teacher in the classroom, if her teaching as a Christian without, you know, teaching Christian curriculum is good enough for other students, why wasn't it good enough for her own kids? Yeah, well, the problem is it's not a matter of good enough. Uh, you know, if, if she if, if she could have taught, I'm sure what she thought was good enough, uh, there would have been plenty of, of Christian uh, infusion into the curriculum but because of Supreme Court cases uh, and decisions that she certainly had no control over, uh, they've said that you can't, uh, you know, do that in the public school. I mean, she's not even allowed to lead her fellow students in prayer. Uh, so that's certainly something that, you know, she's trying to follow the law, but yet for her own children, you know, she has the freedom to pick, as every parent does, which style of education they think is the most important for their children. and certainly one of those rights is for every parent to choose Christian education if that's what they feel the Lord is leading them to do. Kelly Shackelford, Liberty Legal Institute, thank you for all you do, and thanks for joining me today. No, thank you, Penna. Well, ladies and gentlemen, next up, uh, we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton. Her debate is in, uh, I'm sorry, her campaign is in damage control mode. Is anybody paying attention? We'll take your calls next on 800-881-9270 here on Jerry Johnson Live. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The Battle for the Truth, Beware the False Prophets, a town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. But everybody likes to make fun of Christianity. Everybody likes to make fun of Jesus. Special guest panelists include Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Jack Graham, pastor Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, Grand Prairie. So when they tell you I'm out there, they tell you I'm making an appearance, he said, don't you believe him? The Battle for Truth. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas. This is Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College in Dallas. I'll be your moderator for this important live discussion. Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m. And live from Crossroads Christian Church. The Truth. Fight for it with us. 
only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. I don't know, and I don't presume to know. What I know is there's life here on Earth, and, and that we're not attending to life here on Earth. Uh, we're not taking care of kids uh, who are alive and unfortunately are not getting health care. Well, that's from Tuesday night's debate among Democrat candidates. Barack Obama was asked if he, like some of his opponents, believes in extraterrestrial life. Uh, it was covered very well last night on Jerry Johnson Live, the whole idea of UFOs. Of course, Dennis Kucinich says he's seen them. And uh, you guys did a great job in discussing that last night. It was great to hear all the callers, people weighing in on the issue of USOs. But we're going to get on to some politics. And uh, first, we're going to go to Wall Street because uh, stock prices plunged today, a day after the Fed lowered interest rates yesterday. And here's a report. Fears of a slowing economy hit Wall Street like a plunging anvil. The Dow Jones Industrial Average plummeted by around 370 points, its biggest slide since August, amid reports that manufacturing and consumer spending both weakened in October. The fall of about two and three quarter percent more than wiped out the gain recorded after the Federal Reserve sliced a quarter point off interest rates on Wednesday. Adding to the market's worries was the concern that this week's rate cut might be the last for a while, as the central bank issued a statement saying it's keeping an eye on inflation, with oil nudging $95 a barrel. Financial stocks had their worst day in five years. Warren Levinson, New York. I think investors are worried about inflation. Of course, they saw yesterday's rate cut, and uh, signals were that that might be the last rate cut this year. And uh, also, this drop in consumer spending may have been a factor. People uh, anxious about the possibility of a recession. And tomorrow, uh, we will get a jobs report, which may uh, give people some idea about the jobs creation situation in October. So we will continue to watch that. Well, today in the Wall Street Journal, uh, an editorial says the junior senator from New York, Hillary Rodham Clinton, seems increasingly to have adopted her husband's political methods, Minus the savoir faire, uh, the result is that it's impossible to know what she believes about anything. Now, in uh, Bill Clinton's regime, that was called triangulation, trying to be on both sides of an issue. He pulled it off very well. I don't think Hillary pulled it off quite so well. And if you were watching, we'd love to know if you think she did. The number is 800 881 9270. Hillary Clinton uh, was asked uh, about several things, and uh, she took both sides of several issues last night at the debate. Here she is. Uh, she was asked if she supported New York Governor Elliot Spitzer's plan to give illegal aliens a driver's license. Of course, the other candidates kind of piled on her. Here's that. S- Senator Clinton, I just want to make sure what I heard. Do you, the New York Senator, Hillary Clinton, support the New York governor's plan to give illegal immigrants a driver's license? You told the National Hampshire paper it made a lot of sense. Do you support his plan? You know, Tim, this is where everybody plays gotcha. It makes a lot of sense. What is the governor supposed to do? He is dealing with a serious problem. We have failed, and George Bush has failed. Do I think this is the best thing for any governor to do? No. But do I understand the sense of of real desperation trying to get a handle on this? Remember, in New York, we want to know who's in New York. We want people to come out of the shadows. He's making an honest effort to do it. We should have passed immigration Uh, reform. I want to add something that Chris Dodd just said a minute ago, because I don't want it to go unnoticed. Unless I missed something, Senator Clinton said two different things in the course of about two minutes, uh, just a few minutes ago. And I think this is a real issue. 
for the country. I mean, America is looking for a president who will say the same thing, who will be consistent, who will be straight with them. Because what we've had for seven years is double talk from Bush and from Cheney, and I think America deserves, deserves to be straight. Senator- We'd love to hear from you uh, on this issue. The number is 800-881-9270. First of all, about Hillary Clinton. Can she get away with taking both sides of an issue? Secondly, what about driver's license for illegals? New York Governor Elliot Spitzer has had to back off a bit and take a little different tack on this, but he's still supporting these licenses in three levels. So what do you think about that? And again, the number is 881-9270. Also, first segment, we talked about parental rights the right of someone working in the public school system to put their children in a private or a Christian school. If you have any more to anything to say about that, we'd love to hear those comments. Uh, we sort of cut off that subject, but we want to keep it going. Uh, again, one more time, our number, 800-881-9270. We want to give you a chance to weigh in. Now, Mark Penn, who is Hillary Clinton's senior strategist and pollster, and another uh, gentleman, Jonathan Mance, the finance director, actually uh, put together a call of some of Hillary's top supporters. And uh, the Hill uh, newspaper, newsletter, uh, listen to it. And uh, they expect from uh, tax from Clinton's rivals. And so they're asking these folks to give some money to help deflect these attacks. They say that uh, Hillary is going to need money to do, quote unquote, damage control. And uh, they're a little uh, worried about her performance uh, the other night. Well, let's go to the phones. In Dallas is George. George, thanks for calling. Hi, thanks for taking my call, Tana. Um, I'm actually a te- teacher in a district that has a very, very, very high um, illegal um, population. Um, well over 70% of the kids in my class, um, I teach middle school, sit there and laugh and brag about being illegal and about how they... Really? How they, oh, yeah. They, they, they talk about how to manipulate the system. Um, the amount of money that our schools spend on students who you know, really don't care one way or the other, um, don't understand the language... Is mind-boggling. Um, it kind of tied in with your with your last, uh, you know, gentleman. Um, the, what what has what has happened to public education because of of that is is, is unbelievable. Um, and then, and, you know, there was a situation at our school where we had a parent. Are you finding yourself not being able to teach as well because of this? Oh, I am a horrible teacher this year. I'll be the first one to mm. say this is my seventh year in the classroom. I actually spent time in private private school as well. Oh, I'm I'm a bad teacher this year because I'm having to teach down. And, and in fact, I had a meeting with my department head this morning saying, I don't feel like I'm getting the job done. And she basically told me, don't sweat it. You can't get the job done with, with students who don't get the language. And, and more importantly, don't care. Don't, don't care. George, let me ask you, if you ha- I don't know if you have children or not, but yes, uh, if to. you had if finances were not an issue... Uh, would you put your kids in the school that you're teaching in? I mean, would you, or would you try for maybe a Christian school? You know what? Um, coming out of the Christian element, I spent a tremendous amount of time there. A lot of times we make the mistakes in the Christian department of doing too much preaching and not enough teaching. Um, so, you know, there, there's got to be that balance somewhere in the middle. Um, and if you're not careful, if, depending on where your private school you hook up with, you start getting more dogma uh, than you do biblical teaching. Hmm, interesting. Uh, in fact, the last school where I left, it, it, quite honestly, one of the reasons why I left is it really did border on cold. <laughs> and it's a very large school, very, very, very well respected. But the stuff that was going on inside and the stuff that was being taught, uh, I'm not sure how biblical. Well, George, uh, I thank you for weighing in on this because I think it really hurts the kids who are there 
who are legally in this country, who speak English, and who are basically having to sit through classes where even some of the people don't speak English well. Uh, if you're in this country illegally, it doesn't mean you're going to be a bad student, but it certainly does pose a challenge to the whole educational system. So we appreciate that call. And, uh, of course, there are some fine, fine Christian schools in the Metroplex that are doing a great job educating kids. And uh, so I want to I want to definitely make that statement. Uh, let's go back to a statement made uh, by uh, presidential candidate Barack Obama with regard to the debate last night. He really says Hillary Clinton flip-flopped on the issues. Some of this stuff gets overhyped. In fact, I think this has been the uh, most hyped fight since Rocky fought Apollo Creed. Uh, although the amazing thing is I'm Rocky in this situation. Uh, but... <laughs> Look, we have big challenges. We're at war. The country is struggling with issues like rising health care. We've got uh, major global challenges like climate change. And that's going to require big, meaningful change. And I'm running for president because I think that the way to bring about that change uh, is to offer some sharp contrasts with the other party. I think it means that we bring people together to get things done. I think it means that we push against the special interests that are holding us back. And most importantly, I think it requires us to be honest about the challenges that we face. Uh, It does not mean, I think, changing positions uh, whenever it's politically convenient. Uh, And Senator Clinton, uh, in her campaign, I think has been for NAFTA previously. Now she's against it. She has taken one position on torture several months ago and then most recently has taken a different position. Uh, She voted for a war uh, to authorize sending troops into Iraq and then later said this was a war uh, for diplomacy. Uh, I don't think that it, now that may be politically savvy, but I don't think that it offers the clear contrast that we need. Uh, I think what we need right now is honesty with the American people about where we would take the country. That's how I'm trying to run my campaign. Uh, That's how I will be as president. Senator Clinton, rebuttal. Well, I don't think the Republicans um, got the message that I'm voting and sounding like them. If you watch their debate last week, I seem to be the topic of great conversation and consternation, and that's for a reason, because I have stood against George Bush and his failed policies. George Bush, uh, as a matter of fact, spoke at the Heritage Foundation today. But I want to go back to Obama. He said climate change is one of the great global challenges. How about Islamofascism and how about the war on terror? Right now they're trying to confirm in the Senate uh, the nominee for Attorney General, Mukasey. He's experiencing some uh, trouble, as you'll hear from Ted Kennedy. I intend to oppose the nomination of Michael Mukasey to be the next Attorney General of the United States. And President Bush responded at the Heritage Foundation. The program is classified, and therefore he is in no position to provide an informed opinion. He has not been read into the program. This is the reason that Mukasey is experiencing opposition. Uh, Senators who oppose him are saying that uh, he cannot actually repudiate some of the methods for questioning high-value terror suspects. President Bush says, well, he doesn't have all the classified information to be able to do so. It would really, really harm national security if he were to repudiate some sort of a method of questioning that might need to be used later. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, these are weighty issues. 
We are grateful we still have a president who is tough on national security. Join us next. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. When it comes to funding our troops, some in Washington should spend more time responding to the warnings of terrorists like Osama bin Laden and the requests of our commanders on the ground and less time responding to the demands of MoveOn.org bloggers and Code Pink protesters. President Bush getting some cheers uh, in his speech at the Heritage Foundation today. He said that the Democratic Congress is really behaving as if America were not at war. And uh, he basically said that America ignores the threat from al-Qaeda as it, at its peril. Also, uh, he said he really summed it up uh, at the Heritage Foundation this way. Here's the bottom line. This is no time for Congress to weaken the Department of Justice by denying it a strong and effective leader. It's no time for Congress to weaken our ability to gather vital intelligence from captured terrorists. It's no time for Congress to weaken our ability to intercept information from terrorists about potential attacks on the United States of America. And it's no time for Congress to hold back vital funding for our troops as they fight al-Qaeda terrorists and radicals in Afghanistan and Iraq. So amidst all the political campaigning, the debates, uh, the campaigns, and the strategies, President Bush is continuing to fight the war on terror, both here and abroad. And he talked about it today and made some great points. Uh, you know, we have values voters. Uh, we have people that vote their values, whether it be the social issues, the national security issues, the economic issues. Uh, we also have preachers uh, talking in the pulpit about some of these issues and, uh, you know, in a sense... Um, they do it more on one side of the aisle than the other, but uh, actually, I heard that Mike Huckabee is going to be at Prestonwood this Sunday, uh, 11 o'clock service, so uh, I'm not sure whether he'll be preaching or answering questions, uh, but we are going to talk next about the intersection between faith and culture, and you know how does it work out in practical terms? Andrew Bear did an interview earlier this week with uh, one of the chapel speakers here at the Criswell College. He is Dr. Bruce Ashford, and he is director of the Lewis A. Drummond Center for Great Commission Studies. He's also associate professor of philosophy and intercultural studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And again, uh, he spoke in uh, chapel to the students here at Criswell. They got to hear him. Andrew sat down with him, and they talked about Christian involvement in the culture, in the public square, and also a little bit later in Spreading the Gospel. Here's that interview. Dr. Ashford, you talk about intercultural studies, you talk about philosophy, but you also talk about um, cultural engagement for believers. And uh, we were having a conversation last night about the relationship of theology and culture. And I want you, just for our listeners, to kind of set the table. Uh, tell us the relationship. Is there a relationship between Christ and culture? And if so, what is it? Okay, thank you. Um, I think one of the most Im important issues for Christians to address uh, facing the 21st century is is uh, the question of uh, what are the implications of the gospel uh, for culture? It is my conviction uh, that uh, God should be glorified in every every uh, dimension of culture and every facet of human existence, uh, that this is a, a significant issue and one uh, that w has not been treated by evangelicals and by Baptists uh, since, begin say, since maybe the beginning of the 20th century. 
beginning of the 20th century, evangelicals and Baptists abdicated their responsibility to the academy. With the uh, controversies over Dar- Dar- Darwinism and so forth, um, our students stopped going to public universities, uh, Ivy League universities. Uh, they, they fled the campuses. They no longer did PhDs. And so now when you have an 18-year-old student walk into a university campus and take a class in psychology, biology, chemistry, physics, philosophy, they usually have a militant anti-Christian teaching them. Um, it's my conviction that this should no longer be the case, that our beliefs and our worldview matter and uh, every dimension of culture, in the arts, the sciences, the public square, and education. Let's take the arts, for example. Um, uh, God is the first artist. Um, he is the one who gave us the world that we see. He's the one who gave us the sunsets that we see, the ability to, uh, to be creative, uh, to produce music, to produce theater, cinema, and so forth. So if a person is an artist, if a Christian finds himself or herself uh, in the position of an artist, that is a good thing. God was the first artist, and so we should use um, art in a way that pleases uh, God. You know, animals can't create art. Uh, your ferret, your little pet chihuahua, little Bon Jovi uh, cannot, will never write Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Fourth Movement. The best you could do is teach your dog to maybe put, put a little denim jacket on it, give him a mullet, let him strum it a guitar, <laughs> but he will uh, never actually write music because God has given that to humans. Uh, let's take the sciences. If a person, a Christian, finds himself or herself as a scientist, that is a good thing. Uh, God and by crea- sciences, you mean <clears throat> by, uh, biology, psychology? Not, not, only, not only biology, physics, and chemistry, but psychology, sociology, anthropology. This is a good thing. In fact, uh, the, the world that scientists study is the world that God gave us. And the brain that we use when we study those things is a brain that God has given us. We can think in the way that a dog or a cat or a llama cannot. The public square, and by the public square I mean this is anywhere that citizens of a community come together to discuss public issues. It could be lawyers, journalists, politicians, uh, legislators, but on the other hand it could be people getting together in a coffee shop discussing the the latest uh, ethical issues. It is God who gave us the ability to be relational, to gather ourselves into communities. This is something natural that we all do, and I think it is it is incumbent upon Christians to be able to step into the public square and to speak reasonably, winsomely, and persuasively. Now, that's interesting because we, we had Alan Dershowitz on the program not too mm-hmm. long ago. He's professor of law at Harvard, and uh, he wrote a book called Blasphemy, how the religious right are hijacking uh, the Constitution. And he basically says that Christians shouldn't have a place at the table. And so, and that's a question we struggle with okay. often here in the program. So do you think um, Christians should have a place at the policy table? On the- well, for, uh, the first thing I would say is that uh, Alan's got a problem, and that is that he, he, he thinks that we can come to the public square naked, uh, that we can take off our ideological clothing when we come to the public square and uh, discuss issues as if we could actually lay aside our most deeply held beliefs. I don't think that's possible. Everyone has presuppositions. Uh, absolutely. Nicholas Wolterstorff uh, at Yale University, uh, Richard John Newhouse, uh, with First Things, uh, they've argued this eloquently. It's not possible to set aside our, our most deeply held beliefs. Furthermore, I'd say a Christian in particular has something uh, to contribute in that, you know, it, it, it's impossible, I think, to conceive of uh, law and morality if there's not a lawgiver. And we are those who, who come having knowledge of the lawgiver. Now, that doesn't mean that we come to the public square and quote Bible verses all the time. It's okay to quote Bible verses sometimes, but sometimes the best thing to do 
is to take your Christian convictions and speak them in neutral public language, mm-hmm. reasoned argument. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I think Christians should be prepared to do. So you're you're still taking the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. um, but you're just uh, translating in a, in a language that uh, the culture can understand. Basically. Absolutely. And, and you know, interestingly, you know, Romans uh, chapter two speaks of the law written on the heart. Romans yes. chapter one speaks of things that we all know. Basically, a natural kind of a law. Absolutely, natural law. Great. Well, let, let's uh, just talk about some ways you think um, that our listeners can be involved in culture. I mean, challenge our listeners. What does this look like? Put some feet on this for us. Well, uh, you want to take it? Uh, let's just take arts, sciences, arts. and then okay. public square. Art and the sciences. The first thing I would say is that if we want to be Christians in the arts, this means that it does not mean that we should take ordinary everyday art and then plaster Bible verses on it. Um, I'm not referring to Christian bookstore art here. Now, it's okay to buy Christian bookstore art. Uh, but we're talking about that an artist should produce his or her art from within a Christian worldview, that the whole body of a, of a musician's lyrics and music or of an artist's paintings or of an architect's buildings, that that whole body of work and the way they design it should be consistent with a Christian worldview. Um, it, it, it means I think it means for the everyday Christian, the guy in the street, that when we watch movies, when we listen to music, we listen to them Christianly. Yes. We understand the worldview that they're written from, and we'd be ready to respond to, the, uh, to that worldview in a reasoned and uh, persuasive manner. Um, in the sciences, I think for those who are scientists, uh, they come to the facts with Christian presuppositions. Everybody comes to the facts with presuppositions. There is no uh, science that is not theory-laden. There's always a hypothesis. There's always a theory. And uh, so we come uh, to the table believing that there's design. For example, yes. Okay, for the ordinary uh, Christian uh, in science, I think that we should be in awe of the world that God has given us. That we should read widely, if we can, in the sciences, and pursue information. Absolutely, this is something that pleases God. It's not like reading your Bible is a calling from God, and yet reading His world is not. Hmm. Uh, there's no way that we can really bifurcate those two worlds. If we love God's Word, I think we'll also love God's world. Wow. How about in the public square? What, it, what would it look like for Christians to be involved? Well, I think the first thing is uh, that Christians should uh, begin to do things like uh, read books. And, and uh, many, many do, but many don't. And I don't just mean uh, Christian books from the Christian bookstore. Uh, we, should, we should understand what's going on. We should read news programs, hmm. serious news programs, international news, current affairs, international affairs. Uh, take a look at books that are coming out and be, be able to analyze a book or a, uh, a movie, or uh, a politician's speech, and ask, you know what, uh, is, are his premises true? Does his argumentation follow? Is it valid? Uh, what are his presuppositions? Are they anti-Christian? And then flesh those presuppositions out and show people that his presuppositions are driving the way he, he puts together uh, the evidence. But most importantly, I think one of the things we need to do in the public square is to be winsome and persuasive and gracious. A lot of times uh, Christians are showboats. They get on television, uh, certain uh, big-name Christians, and they are insulting and demeaning, degrading. And I think we should, we should. Uh, it's an irony. It's a heavy irony when we're speaking about grace and yet not doing it in a gracious manner. Reading books, analyzing them, analyzing the news. He's advocating some of the things we do here on Jerry Johnson Live. We'll have more of the interview with Dr. Ashford. We'll also talk about his time ministering in a closed country. Stay with us. 
November 14th, the battle for the truth. It is our responsibility as pastors to speak out on issues, biblical issues, uh, show our people what the Bible says, give them the tools they need to make wise decisions. And I certainly believe it is a pastor's job to warn his people against doctrinal error that would lead them away from the truth. Dr. Robert Jeffress. I think it's very important, especially for pastors as well as Christians, almost to adopt a new intolerance toward false teaching. The Apostle Paul was the most intolerant person that ever lived when it came to the basics of the gospel. He said, if anyone preaches another gospel, let that person be accursed. And so I'm hoping uh, that Christians, as a result of this town hall meeting, will have a new courage to stand up for the truth. The truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. And thank you for joining me today on the program. I love the things that Dr. Bruce Ashford has to say. Again, he is uh, director of the Lewis A. Drummond Center for Great Commission Studies and associate professor of philosophy and intercultural studies at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina. Andrew Abair interviewed him. Let's go back to the interview. Our show, Jerry Johnson Live, is about the Christian worldview, and we're all about bringing Christ to the culture and understanding things through a biblical perspective. Uh, and there are a lot of different viewpoints out there. You know, you have Christ against culture, mm-hmm. sort of uh, what the Essenes did. You know, they mm-hmm. withdraw, and uh, that's that's prevalent in our in our day. Um, there are a lot of people who just mm-hmm. withdraw from culture. They don't want to touch it. Then you have Christ of culture, where you know we actually become part of this world that we're mm-hmm. trying to reach. And then there's the Christ above culture. Just tell us what is the biblical view? How should okay. we think about this? All right. Well, let's take a look at. I want to uh, take a look at three views, and then I'll pick one of those three. The first would be uh, you mentioned Christ against culture. You could also call this, uh, I really think it's a category statement, maybe Christians against culture. And this we could call cultural anorexia. And these are the folks who believe that culture is all bad and we shouldn't have any of it. And so since there are uh, so so many mean and bad people out there writing things that we don't agree with, uh, then what we do is we don't read those things. We don't watch those things. Uh, Then you have Christ of culture, or maybe we could say Christians of culture. And these are the folks we could call cultural gluttons. They want all they can get of it and do not think through it critically or biblically. So maybe we could propose a third paradigm, which would be Christians who interact critically and graciously, Mm -hmm. Christians who want to interact in a redemptive manner from within the culture. And that is we don't try to run from our culture. Uh, We're supposed to be in the culture but not of it. The anorexic is out of the culture and not of it. The cultural glutton is in the culture and of it. We want to be in the culture, but not of it. Mm -hmm. To be in the culture, you have to be aware of it. We should read, we should interact, and yet we should do so in a way that is is Christ-like and redemptive and uh, speaking the truth. That's good. Dr. Ashford, you spoke uh, in chapel at Criswell today, uh, encouraging our our students about missions. And you've had some missions involvement. Just uh, briefly tell us about some of your mission experiences, and then I want you to tell us about what's happening um, in Christian missions around the world. What's uh, looking up? What is uh, the good news that's going on out there? Well, uh, I spend probably uh, about three months a year overseas and um, often working among what we call unengaged and unreached people groups. And these are groups of people who have little or no gospel influence, uh, little or no access to the gospel. Uh, Often they're Muslim countries, but also countries that are predominantly Buddhist or Hindu or animist. And as 
in any country, you're going to find those who reject the gospel, but you're also going to find those who uh, find those who receive the gospel. Now, I'm not going to mention any particular uh, country's names, but we see the growth of the gospel uh, across North Africa and the Middle East in particular. It's been uh, especially exciting and interesting to watch. Usually the growth of the church is through house churches. And in these countries, it's illegal to have a building that is a church. It's often il- illegal for a Muslim to convert. And so you have believers meeting at homes. Those house churches grow too big, and they split into two, the four into eight, and the 16 into 32. And that is how the gospel is, uh, is usually growing. It's growing through homes. Dr. Ashford, you're director of the Lewis A. Drummond Center for Great Commission Studies there at Southeastern Seminary. Encourage, challenge our listeners as to why they should go. What is the Christian motivation for missions? The Christian motivation for missions is the character of God. If you trace God's character and God's motives and all that he does throughout the scriptures, you see one central promise in the scripture, and that is that God would send Messiah. Riveted to that promise is the promise that Messiah would win the nations unto himself. The whole canon of Scripture is, uh, traces uh, these moves of God as he seeks to win the nations unto himself. So we don't base it even on the Great Commission. Mm. It's the very character of God. This is what God is doing. If we're not on board in some manner or some fashion, we're missing out on the biggest thing that it is that God's doing. Wow. There's a lot of ways to get involved. One way and probably the most important way is to get involved with whatever your church is doing on the mission field. And if they're not, to motivate them to do something. There are some very real and tangible ways that you can contribute to the work of of, uh, missionaries on the field. You You can go into a place where there are no Christians, there's no church, and there's no Bible. And you can share the gospel with people for the first time and help to form churches. Another thing that you can do is you can commit to the Lord six months or a year or two years. Two years would be approximately one-fortieth of your life mm-hmm. as an American to take the gospel to those who've never heard. And then finally, I would say that, that you, can, you can spend your life in a Singapore, a Malaysia, a uh, Morocco, an Afghanistan, living your life among the people who God created, who have every bit uh, the right to hear the gospel that you have to hear the gospel. Scripture says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Tell the gospel. Tell the story. The gospel is really a story, like you put it, and it's a story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation. God created the world, and he created it good. Uh, the world is a good gift to us, and actually as human beings, we are the pinnacle of his creation. He created us in his image. We are to image him forth, to represent him. The problem is that our response, beginning with Adam and Eve and up until today, has been to sin against him. We are idolaters at heart. We are all worshipers, and yet we worship ourselves instead of worshiping God. And because of the fall, everything's been ruined. We don't think rationally. We don't behave morally. Relationally, we exclude others rather than embracing them. We push others down and seek to promote ourselves. The fall ruined everything. Redemption. This is the fact that God promised from from Genesis 3 on from the very first two people who ever lived until now that he would send Messiah. And that's the whole message of the Bible. And Messiah came, and that is Jesus the Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived but haven't lived, a righteous life. And he also died a death to pay the penalty for our sin. And then the fourth plot move in this story is restoration. One day, this same Jesus, this same uh, Lord over all creation, will come back and he will give us a new heavens and a new earth, where there'll be no more tears, where all the things that are now wrong will then be right. This is the story that we all so desperately want to be true. It's the most beautiful story ever told, and it is true. 
That's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Dr. Ashford, thank you so much for being with me. My guest has been Dr. Bruce Ashford, Director of the Center for Great Commission Studies and Professor of Philosophy and Intercultural Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if you have not received the gift that Christ offers through his Son, you can receive it uh, by praying for Christ to come into your life. Now, if you are part of his church, uh, if you have received his gift of salvation, then you can share it with others. You can give two years of your life, as Dr. Ashford said. Your mission field is across the ocean, or it's in your city, or it's in your neighborhood, or it is in your culture. And uh, through his power, you can be a missionary for him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, join us tomorrow. Uh, Kyleen Wright will join us. She had an article recently in the Dallas Morning News about abstinence. Is abstinence education at risk It's certainly working. It's certainly helping young people to avoid pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. As a matter of fact, it's the only way to do that. We teach that here in the state of Texas. Uh, But what about abstinence funding? What about the commitment to teaching that in our schools? We'll talk about that and a lot uh, more tomorrow on Jerry Johnson Live. I appreciate your joining me today. Join us again tomorrow. been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.